All right. What's going on, Mike? David, what's going on? <laughs> How's the week going? Good, man. Other than the temperature here in Ohio, I'm kind of jealous. Yeah, you can see the sun shining behind me back here in LA for those uh, listening or watching on YouTube. Um, I'm starting to grow sprouts uh, at my house now. So um, I think I'm about to harvest my first batch of broccoli sprouts. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I've never done any like at-home farming. We have like a little patio, not that I really need uh, much sunlight. So I'm kind of excited to to start eating those. <laughs> Supposedly they're really good for your health. So that, that's an investment of some kind, right? Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome to the show, New Money. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on the podcast, this is a show uh, about new investment vehicles that are available really for everyday people. And so Mike and I jump on and dissect and discuss uh, these new opportunities in a way that's really sort of, uh, I guess, just like human and not, uh, not overly complex the way that some type of financial learning might be. Um, and so today's episode is a little bit different. Usually we talk about specific instruments like Bitcoin, like Rally Road, like uh, CoinMine. Um, but today we're talking about a bigger, broader topic that I don't think really gets talked en about enough, uh, especially in circles like my peer group, who's maybe a bit younger, um, a bit more adverse to thinking about these type of topics. So today we're talking about retirement. Um, which is obviously a big idea. Mike and I are going to attempt to break down really the basics of what retirement is. Like, I want to start just from square one. What is retirement? You know, what is the idea of this? What are the vehicles that are available for you as a listener to start thinking about retirement? Um, and then we'll get into, like always, some discussion about um, how we're thinking about it, unique trends, anything else related to it. Um, but just to get started, um, I put out a Twitter question and you can follow us at new money pod on Twitter. Um, cause I want to start asking questions from the community and help sourcing for stuff in the show. Um, and so I said, I'm going to ask some really dumb questions about retirement for our upcoming podcast. What questions do you have vote below? And the options were, uh, what the, what the F is it really? What is retirement? Uh, which got 17% of the vote. How much money do I need to retire? Which got 67% of the vote. 0% of people have voted, what is a 401k? But I'm going to ask that question because I still could clear things up there. Uh, and 16% of people voted, what are the risks around retirement? I think that's going to be a really interesting question to get into. Are there risks to retiring? Are there risks to investing in retirement? Because um, I think traditionally it's thought of as the most safe, sort of long you know, time horizon way of uh, investing. So we're going to get into that. Um, but let me start being the dumb millennial. Like what is, I know this is funny, but it's like, what is retirement? Like, and, and we'll start getting into how to think about that, but let's, let's start there. How would you, uh, describe to a human what retirement or retirement planning is? I think, you know, at the, I think about it in a few different levels, but I think at the most basic level, it's a state at which you have enough assets that they'll last you the rest of your life. Um, so all of your living expenses, all of your you know uh, health health um, costs would all be covered by either the cash balance that you have acquired over your lifetime of working or um, the interest. So <clears throat> I think that would be like a level one where 
you know, if you were able to perfectly forecast out every dollar that you would need from this point on to the day you die, um, and your bank account hits zero at the moment that you die, that would be like the perfect, um, amount of money to be, uh, put away aside to pay for your, your lifestyle. Um, so when, when you think about retirement is age of death, and this is what I mean by getting into the details here. Like, sure, we all know about saving for retirement, but um, at what point do we retire? Uh, how long will we need to live off of? And, and I think we'll get into more of the interesting areas about like maybe we'll live longer in the future. We can talk about that later. But do people pick an age at which they think they're going to die? You know, it's sort of an interesting question. I think in the traditional retirement planning community, they're going to look off some like actuarial tables of, you know, the average male dies at whatever age that mm -hmm. is. Like 82 or something. Yep. Yeah. Let's say it's 82 and, you know, women last, you know, a few years longer um, for obvious reasons. Um, but I think they'll typically, that's the hardest part of planning for retirement is there are so many unknown variables. Like I work with companies to, to help plan, you know, what are you going to spend next year? And it's a very, even stretches their brain to think that abstract of like, well, I don't know what, January of next year looks like. Imagine jumping, you know, for us, 40 years ahead. Like no one knows what the cost of uh, medical care is going to look like. We don't even know if uh, it, there's so many unknowns. Like, am I going to die when I'm, you know, 45? Am I going to die when I'm 125? There's just so many variables that I think that's one of the reasons why. And I, I mean, I guess I can speak from my own, own experience. It seems like our generation just kind of that level of uncertainty causes you to just kind of brush it under the rug or like maybe not focus on it. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously it's a, it's really difficult and impossible to forecast exactly how much money I need from this moment to the rest of my life so that I know once I have accumulated that dollar amount that I don't need to work. So retirement can also mean like, I think for most people they'll associate it with, I no longer have, have to work. You know, some people choose to continue to do uh, work or um, because they like it or they're doing something that they love. They can spend time, maybe change careers and, and do something they've always wanted to do, not because they need the money, but because it you know, occupies their brain and gives them fulfillment in that direction. So I think that's maybe a second yeah. definition is you no longer have to work for the sake of producing an income. It's more work to, you know, fulfillment or enjoyment whatever you want yeah. to call. And yeah, it's funny because I feel like we almost started on the risks there a little bit of like retirement is uncertain. And, and actually, I think that's a great insight as to why people don't start early. Um, but the, the benefits, not the risks of saving for retirement, obviously the benefits are very clear in that uh, you no longer have to work. You're supported financially if you are no longer able to work. So you're removing risk there. Um, and you can spend time on the stuff that you love. And I think there's a big movement happening right now. Um, you know, maybe in the future we'll cover this more specifically um, of people looking to retire early. There's a great kind of online community and blog uh, run by this guy, Mr. Money Mustache. And the entire premise of this community of people is how do I get to retire as early as possible? And so there's stories of people there retiring, you know, at age 30. Um, and, and so I do think that there's a, a a movement also not to just brushing on the rug, but also that's the state that I want to be in as quickly as possible. I want to be quote unquote retired. And so it is a loose definition. Um, and I think 
yeah, maybe there's, there's sort of the people who are uh, brushing under the rug and it's maybe too hard to think about in the future. And then there's the people who are like, I want that now. Why would I wait until I'm, uh, you know, whatever, 50s or 60s? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, our generation, call it millennials, I'm kind of on the cusp there, but we're very focused on experiential things. And I think, you know, being able to enjoy our time when we're young, I think is a, is a byproduct of maybe seeing our parents work. Like for me specifically, it's really close to home. My, my parents, you know, work their whole lives. And, you know, by the time they can retire, maybe not in the best you know, either, either physical condition to like enjoy that. So I think we've learned a little bit from watching some older generations get to the point where they can retire, but quality of life isn't what they want. So, you know, even, you know, uh, oh man, I just blanked. Um, Tim Ferriss even kind of points to the, you know, having a like early retirement, spend a year or two. I can't remember exactly what he talks about, but spending some time early focusing on a mini retirement, enjoying, um, exploring and, and kind of in, and doing that, which is, you know, a, a newer way of thinking about retirement. Mm-hmm. That doesn't need to be this permanent state or like a line that you sort of cross. Um, and I think that's also true, right? There's, maybe there's not this direct line in the sand um, from which you're retired, but let's circle this back to money. Let's circle this back to investing. So the general premise, I think that most people understand is that you save a little bit of money, um, you know, every paycheck and that small bit of money each week or each month starts adding up thanks to compound interest, um, which is, I, I think, a, a, something that people understand, compound interest. Um, and it helps you build this pool of capital that you can then draw back from. So once it's sort of built and you've been adding to it until let's say you're 60, now you start pulling um, and drawing down until, like you said, maybe ideally the day you die, or if you have stuff extra, then you can pass it along to family. You can be a philanthropist um, with that extra money. Uh, but obviously, you don't really need that money anymore as you cross over. So um, I think just getting to some of the basic vehicles now of like directly saving for retirement, like how are most people um, starting to save? And, and what are the vehicles that they're using? So I think the two that are that are most widely known is going to be a 401k and an IRA. So the difference between, they're very similar from a um, mechanic standpoint. Um, you really can't tap into them until you're, I think 59 and a half is, is the, is still the year. Um, 401k um, is typically company sponsored and IRA is kind of a self-funded retirement account. So as far as, you know, the, the IRS is concerned, they're both considered, um, tax exempt retirement savings accounts. Um, and it just is dependent on where your income comes from. So if you're employed, you're typically going to have a 401k. Um, if you are self-employed or unemployed, you're going to typically have an IRA and someone who is employed can still have an IRA outside of their 401k, but you can't have a 401k if you're self-employed, that makes sense. Um, So so the idea is, um, you use these vehicles that actually make the incentive structure such that if you pull out that money early, uh, it's not to your benefit. So if you leave them in for a certain number of years, whether it's the 401k or the IRA, uh, you're not penalized. You're essentially penalized for taking that money out early, but it's tax free if you take it out after a certain point in time. And like you said, um, the 401k, for example, 
uh, maybe it was 59 was the age at which you can start pulling from that uh, without having a tax burden. Yeah, so you're not taxed on money that you put in. So into your 401k, you're taxed on the way out. So when you start withdrawing the money, you'll pay normal income tax rates um, on that money. And you can uh, save up to $19,000 this year's 20, or 2019 is the new threshold, $19,000 per year from your paycheck into your 401k. And one of the other benefits typically of a 401k is that um, most employers offer some kind of match. So, you know, they'll match up to the first 3% or you know, 5% depending on the employer. So you automatically kind of get a really good return on your investment there if your employer is matching that first, you know, three to 5%. And what's their incentive there? They just want to retain you as an employee. Is that why an employer would do that? Yeah, it's typically a, just a, a, a perk or a benefit, um, part of the benefits package. Um, mm -hmm. And it aligns with sort of your long-term well-being as well because it helps you save. Right. Now, exactly. With the 401k, that is not an investment into the market. That is directly just a savings. So typically a 401k has uh, certain, um, the plan usually has a list of vehicles inside of it that you can invest the dollars into. So certain mutual funds, um, but they're not unlimited. Like, like an IRA, a self-directed IRA, typically you can invest that in just about anything. Um, a 401k is much more limited. It's based on what your company's specific plan allows you to invest in. So your investment options could be as small as like 20 funds or a hundred funds. Whereas, you know, either on the open you know, market or in an IRA, your investment options are going to be uh, close to unlimited. Mm -hmm. um, and some people see that as a, you know, as a bonus in that you don't have to make a ton of complicated decisions. Um, some, most people would look at that as, you know, kind of a limiting factor, I would think. So would you say then maybe it's fair that people who are wanting active control of how their investments are doing, try to maximize an IRA and people who want to essentially take maybe the more secure sort of slow and steady route would use the 401k and max that out? I think... Uh, you definitely get more investment options in an IRA. Um, 401k, typically, you know, if I'm self-employed now, so I don't really, I can't really speak to what I'm doing right now, but if I was in a situation where I was, um, had a 401k option, if I was employed, I would probably invest up to the point where I get the benefit of the employer match. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, depending on my age and my, you know, my uh, temperature for risk would invest in, you know, a mix of funds within that 401k that aligned with that. So um, all that to say, I think, you know, the benefit of a 401k is going to be the employee match, employer match. Um, otherwise, you know, if you have the option, I mean, it feels like an IRA is a, is a better, if you, if you have the temperature, if you would like to have more control of the investment vehicles within your IRA or within your retirement account, an IRA is going to give you more options. Mm -hmm. And really you don't have to necessarily use either of those accounts uh, if you don't want to. Um, but 
they're built to sort of assist you in growing your um, opportunities to retire. Is that right? Yes, because you know the growth of that um, of that vehicle is not taxed until you start to withdraw. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, as somebody's thinking about their uh, landscape, I guess for planning for their own retirement, um, obviously there's some sense in about how much money you need, um, which then relates to how much money you need to save. Um, what I've heard, and this is from the um, Mr. Money Mustache uh, formula is the simple formula that they give is 25x the earnings you need to be comfortable. So let's say, for example, you need $100,000 per year to be comfortable, 25x that rate, um, assuming a 7% return on uh, your investments year over year would um, pay you sort of what you need to retire on. So that's kind of the multiple they look at. Um, and then as far as saving to get that number, saving to reach that 25X, the earnings that you feel comfortable on, um, you know, I think that's a different story about people's threshold, whether they think they want to do it really quickly and save, you know, a quarter or 30% of their paycheck every month, or, um, you know, it's only maybe it's 5% of their paycheck every month. It kind of depends. And I think that gets back to what we started with, where it's sort of nebulous in terms of how much you need, uh, do you have any other sort of comments on understanding for yourself percentages you should be saving or rates you should sort of hit um, to feel comfortable? Um, so me personally, um, I think that that like floor to where uh, most people will feel like they're on track with savings, and you know this kind of comes from. Um, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan when it comes to uh, just kind of his philosophy. And he, he recommends 15% um, of your income to be saving that in retirement. So that's kind of where I focus on specifically retirement. Um, every year I reset my, my I do some cash allocation um, methodology, which we've kind of gone over kind of offline a few times, but essentially every week I put 15% of what I'm drawing from my business into specific retirement accounts for my wife and I, anything that I want to invest outside of that. I, I have a more of a uh, goal to try to have more liquid cash because anything you put in your retirement accounts, like you've already pointed out, if you try to access that cash, you're going to get penalized. Um, so, I would like just based on, you know, my goals to have a little more liquid cash. Um, and you know, there are some things that, you know, lead me to, to feel that way. You know, if I want to buy, you know, a business or, or kind of invest in, in some things that I want to actually have control over and not necessarily have it tied into a retirement account that I can't access. Um, I want to grow that specific, like honestly more than I do my, my IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want more control. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that, no, I, I think that's a great point. So I think that just continues to point out that it's tough to find the one size fits all for everybody. I think probably what we could conclude here is that um, whether we like it or not, we're all going to get old and um 
there will be a time where we don't want to keep doing the, the work that we're doing or we aren't able to do the work that we're doing. And so uh, there's a floor in terms of it's a must um, and where that floor sits, whether it's 5% or 15%, I think is sort of up to you as well as the vehicles that you uh, decide to go with. So I think it sounds like maybe, you know, we don't have exact answers on the show for anybody. We don't have financial advice. We'll give the disclaimer now. This, none of this is financial advice. These are just ideas um, that we're discussing so that you can make your own decisions. Uh, it, it seems like you need to pick your floor and commit to that. Like I love that you just say 15% of every paycheck goes to retirement. Um, what that floor is for you depends on how much cash you want to have on hand depends on how you want to invest money in other ways. Um, and so I think it's safe to say the best thing you can do for yourself is really as soon as you start working, and that could even be when you're 18 or younger, uh, allocate a percentage on a recurring basis, do it no matter what. Um, and then as you start earning more, uh, you can also choose to use some of that new earnings not to increase your percentage of allocation to retirement, but potentially to uh, become other types of investments, a riskier investment option like stocks, like the vehicles we're talking about on the show, um, or simply keeping cash on hand, which is an option or an opportunity for you to purchase something later. And now we're going to get into the section of the show about the risks. Um, and I think one risk is like you were saying, if you lock up so much money in your retirement account, it's not available to you without maybe a tax penalty now. And so that's maybe why you don't want to maybe allocate, you personally don't want to allocate 40% of your paycheck to the retirement, let's say, where some people might, some people might want to do that. And you want to have uh, the opportunity to keep that cash on hand for an investment. Um, are there any other risks to uh, retirement that come to mind for you or the type of traditional, I guess, retirement investing that you can think of? I think you always run the risk of, you know, if, if you're really basing this on, you know, this is the number I think I need, you run the risk of undershooting that. <laughs> right. Wrong model. Great point. So, you know, if, if I think I need a million dollars to retire and I, you know, get to the age of 40, I hit that number and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm never working another day. And at 55, I realize I'm out of money or I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to last me long enough. I have to enter a new career after being, you know, on the sideline for 15 years. That's going to be tough to find someone to employ yeah. you. Um, not impossible, but, you know, could make the case that it'd be difficult. Um, you could have, you know, on the same kind of token, your living situation may be grossly different than what you had forecasted. You may have some health reasons, health issues where, you know, you have, you know, a ton of medical needs that you didn't forecast and you've kind of undersaved. So, I mean, I think this is kind of where that just, you have to just save like as much money as possible is, is the, the number. And that's why people have such a hard time nailing down what that number is. Um, you know, like you had kind of already touched on over saving in non-liquid uh, assets, like just having either having cash on the sideline or just mutual funds that are outside of a um, retirement account that you can access. If you don't have access to that and you have a life event where you need to come up with 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars, 
you know, you're going to pay a penalty by trying to pull out of your retirement. Um, yeah. I can't think of any other like real risks. Um, I think one, it's not necessarily super relevant to people our age, but as people get closer to their retirement age, you know, let's say I'm dead set in, on retiring in the next three years and we have, you know, a huge crash and I'm not kind of haven't like reallocated in a, in a very conservative way where I'm not going to feel that huge downturn. And I'm in, you know, some really risky um, mutual funds either within a, you know, 401k or an IRA. And, you know, I get a haircut by 50% of my, you know, retirement nest egg. You know, now I'm in a position where, you know, I may have to work another five, 10 years to wait for that to recover, to be able to retire. Mm -hmm. Um, And that happened in 2008. And I think, I think the thing to remember here there's a few things that are coming to my mind as we kind of discuss this. One, the thing to remember here is that that money is invested. Uh, and so if the whole market corrects like it did in 2008, um, potentially you take some type of hit, even though you've had growth for a long time, the timing of when you uh, sort of need it does, does matter. And that can also probably regrow if you're able to wait for a few years to be able to uh, keep working or, or pull it out later. Um, but yeah, so there's a risk there in the sense that it's actually still in the market. It's not just savings, not just sitting um, in an account. Um, the second thing is, this is why there's financial advisors. And I think this calculation that we've been discussing about how much do I need? How should I allocate? What percentage should I allocate? How am I doing? Uh, how's the market looking? Like this is the reason for that industry uh, is to assess those um, I guess, complex levers that each individual person uh, has differently. So I think that that's the other thing that comes to mind is that's why we have that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's any other risk that comes to mind. I think that's, that's a big one. Um, the other big risk right now that I, that comes to mind is, you know, very relevant for us in our generation specifically in that, you know, our parents uh, have gotten, you know, the, assuming they've paid into the social security system for, you know, their entire working lives. Um, when they hit a certain age, you know, I, I don't remember the numbers right off my top of my head, but they can start drawing on this or something. They, yeah. They can start drawing on those social security. And those aren't necessarily like tax funded benefits. Those aren't, uh, they're not, those aren't funded out of like tax revenue. They're funded out of the money that you've given the government to hold on to for you. So, the problem with this right now is that, you know, they're expected, you know, different, you're going to see different statistics everywhere or different like D days, but you know, around the year 2030 social security, which we've been paying into our entire working lives is assumed to be insolvent. So by the time we're ready to retire, there won't be any money there, even though we've paid significantly into that. So I think for people like us, you know, with, with our age, you know, for me personally, I'm not even factoring social security into my plan for retirement because there won't be, we're not expecting there to be any money there. Whereas mm. future or previous generations were able to factor that into um, their retirement plan. Um, but I think, you know, given the way the outlook for that, I think it's smart to almost act like it's not there. And if you're able to collect anything out of social security by the time you're ready to retire, then, you know, it's a bonus. Yeah. I almost think we can kind of wrap here on a, on a point that is clear to me now um, in our, our basics discussion about the idea of retirement, which is 
you know, what is retirement? Retirement is uh, having the ability and freedom to uh, no longer work the job that you want, no longer work any job um, at a certain point of time, and understanding how much you need in that certain point in time uh, is the hardest factor for sort of understanding. And so I think almost everything we've discussed today goes back to you really just save as much as you possibly can. Um, and I think even from a, cons you're, you're being smartly conservative in saying, I'm not even factoring in this other sort of benefit uh, because I want to be extra secure uh, in how I am sort of down the road. So um, I think maybe that, not that there's an answer, but it just seems the recurring thing that keeps coming up is you don't know, you might have higher expenses. All you can do is uh, just really make it a habit of allocating a portion of your income every month to any of the vehicles that we've discussed. Uh, and the earlier you start, the better. Yeah, and I think the last piece, in, last piece that I want to add is thinking every year I, I take a step back and look at what our, the financial health of my family is and where we sit. And I kind of reset that vision of like, where do we want to be um, in 20 years? And like, what's changed? What do we need to change on allocations? And just intentionally, basically being intentional about, you know, where you're directing all of your money to go. Um, and I think it's tough to do it first in that you feel like you don't really know what you're doing, but after doing it for a few years, um, I think you, you start to force yourself to think about the big picture and making small changes that will get you in a better position next year when you do the same kind of look back. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, I think that's the other thing is just, it's so hard to forecast and think about decades. Like what's my life going to be like 60 years from now? And this is where we talk about on the show, time preference, low time preference or high time preference. We want to play the long game with investing. We want to think on very long uh, time horizons, uh, at least typically for the type of investments um, that we've been thinking about. And this is maybe the ultimate low time preference investment, you know, having that vision for yourself. I mean, I, I even think it's important to discuss this type of thing where it's like, I love that you do that with your family. What is the vision for our family? What is the vision for myself uh, when I'm 80? And I want to take steps for that now. And, you know, a few years from now, it'll be even better because as I look at the steps I need to take, like you said, as you reevaluate in a few years, you've already done some things to help you along that path. You're already further along. So you really just need to start walking or crawling um, and then keeping that long, long-term vision in mind. Um, and it's funny, I, I guess the last thing I'll say just for me is it's like almost as you start making those allocations, you don't really miss them as much anymore when, when you're in that habit. Um, and I think it's smart to be able to put these blinders on yourself where you say, social security, I'm just not having to think about that. You know, 15%, that money's gone, not thinking about it. And I know it's tough for people to save when you have a lot of expenses. I know you've got debt you need to pay down. Um, but I think being able to have the long, low time preference thinking long-term and also, um, you know, being able to put these blinders on yourself where you can make those allocations knowing it's leading towards this bigger vision, uh, that pro you know, probably is part of the key to understanding this whole retirement thing. Hands down. That's been the biggest impact for me personally is, um, 
the allocation and the, yeah. the around that for me. Um, and we'll talk about that again, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's, let's wrap it there. Uh, and I'm glad we were able to have this like human sort of uh, square one discussion about this topic. Uh, we'll try to do some other conversations like this in the future where it's just more topic based and not just a vehicle. Um, if you have any questions or anything you want to chat about, we're on Twitter at new money pod. Um, before we wrap any other updates or news, we like to just like touch on anything that caught our eye from the past week. Um, so I don't know if anything struck you. Um, there, another, calm week for, another calm week for Bitcoin. Uh, the overall markets kind of, uh, stock markets kind of settled down a little bit this first yep. couple, first week of, um, January. So that's good to see. Um, there's some, uh, there's some people in my sort of uh, financial Twitter sphere, which is not a place to ever take advice, but there's some people that I think have a pretty level head about the Bitcoin thing. Uh, they're forecasting a pretty long bear market. So going back to long time preference, um, I'm seeing people who are sort of saying like 2023 is when we might start seeing some interesting action again. So it's, it's good to see that and like sobering uh, to see. And I don't think that changes my interest. Um, I think that's kind of what this whole thing is about is, you know, having, uh, having a thesis and then just sticking with it and, and knowing that it's going to take a long time. But it's just interesting when you start to see that, like, it's that gut check of like, oh yeah, stuff takes a long time. And that might not be true at all. Um, cause I don't think anyone knows, but it's good to see that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why we don't invest anything that we need. I, as soon yeah. as I invest in anything like that, it's gone. I, I've already spent the money. I'm never getting it back in my head. Yeah. And you know, 10 years when I forget that I even have it, which I won't forget that I have. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. It's hopefully it's worth, worth a mountain. Um, right. I, I have been meaning to dip into some more altcoins um, just because I think they're at a point right now where, you know, if you think about some of the price action we've had over the last year, they're at a pretty attractive level, but um, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. I like uh, just for people out there listening who want to dive in. I mean, in the Bitcoin episode, we recommended Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, I think some other people as well. Uh, but I, I think for this, I really like Fred Wilson, who's a venture capitalist based in New York city. Um, he was very early to crypto. They have a crypto fund. He's a very prominent investor in lots of tech. Uh, and I really like his calls. And I remember he had this great post that uh, I should have listened to more probably in like October, November 17, right as the bubble was heating up. Just basically saying that bubbles pop, that this is like what's going to happen. Like, I mean, he, not that he's like called everything perfectly, but I just feel like he always sets the right tone in the general atmosphere of what's going on. Um, he had an interesting post about nibbling on ether, um, which I think gets at your point a little bit. Um, I think they're kind of big on ether generally, but I, yeah, I'd say follow Fred Wilson. It's avc.com. Um, and I don't know, he always just is like, puts the right sort of philosophy out there in the right timing. So, you know, he can be wrong too, but I liked, I like him as like that measuring stick of the market a little bit. I think he's very even keeled and intelligent and puts his money where his mouth is. So nice. Awesome. Great. We'll, we'll link that stuff up. Thanks for listening to the new money podcast and a series on YouTube. If you have any questions, 
you know, hit us up on Twitter at New Money Pod. Uh, ask questions in the comments. Please subscribe, rate us, uh, and we're going to be back again shortly with another episode with a new vehicle. Later.